All right. Well, we'll get started in our in our discussion statement of faith then. So if you if you have your copy of the statement, let's go to um, to point eight. Uh, that's what we're going to cover tonight. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to save point nine uh, for for next week in particular because it's a, it's quite a bit longer um, and such. So really good really good points there. So we've the the statement that we've been covering the the eight the eight points have been quite important, right? And so we've been asking the question every single time from the very beginning, why do we want a statement of faith? And so let's answer the questions together. Why do we need a statement of faith? Okay, so that everyone knows what the belief Okay. Unified set of beliefs for anybody and new people. Right. right. Okay. There's plenty of different ones, right? Different things for us to, to gain from. Uh, it, it helps us understand what we believe about the scriptures, of, of God, man, whatever it is. We can turn right to that and we can instantly just see this is what we believe. If, if ever questioned, ever asked, um, it's a, a good point of evangelism to start with. Uh, as as well. So, what we believe, and of course, what we've been, uh, I actually kind of wanted to start tonight, and I didn't have time to really dig into it, but there was a new, uh, a new survey that came out of um, basically what Americans and American evangelicals believe about certain theological uh, points, and they had one a couple of years ago, might have been a year, maybe two years ago, it was put out by uh, Lifeway Research and Ligonier, and it, it's actually not very surprising, um, in, in the sense that uh, people who consider themselves Christian and evangelical are extremely weak on their doctrine and extremely weak on on what the Scripture teaches. I mean, just extremely weak, and percentages are very high of of, you know, not even really knowing if Jesus is the only way to heaven or that the Bible is really written by God and inspired by God. And, um, and maybe, maybe next week I'll, I'll come at you with some of those, some of those statistics. Um, but as a, as a church, we, we have from the very get-go, from the very beginning, uh, really sought to show the distinctivenesses of, of what this, this congregation will, will be. And, and that is one that we, we hold highly to the, to, the, to the depth and the truth of God's Word. Um, and so we're not afraid of words like doctrine. We're not afraid of words like that. In fact, uh, a lot of people look at words like that or they think theology, they think division, right? We've had that conversation, right? They think division, they think disunity. It's something, just another thing for us to, to, to get angry at. Can't we all just love Jesus and get along and we can sing Hillsong songs, and everybody can sing about oceans and water, and we're good, right? Let's just sing those things. And, and, and we believe, no, that, that doctrine is not something that should be, to be divisive, but it actually is what unifies us, right? This is, this is what unifies us. This is what, what brings us together. And, and, and as a body, if, if we have someone who wants to be a part of our church, but yet they have something that they disagree with this one of these particular points, we should be okay to say, if, if you're not willing to submit to what we believe, then, then this is the wrong church for you, right? Go to the next gas station. They'll have plenty of fuel for you or whatever you want, right? Uh, and so we believe that it unifies us, and that's what we've been seeing. That's what's been 
been worked out amongst us over this past year, whether we've we've seen it or not, or maybe you maybe seen it or not. But that's what's been unifying us, right? And and so all of this, the love that we've been gaining for for one another, has all been rooted out of the knowledge of knowing who God is. That's why we've been wanting to just really push so much on 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 these these deep, heavier doctrines of of God. Some things that maybe you've never heard before. Um, probably lots of things you've never heard before, right? Probably never heard of the word incommunicable attributes before. But now you do, and now you know what it is, right? Pretty amazing. And all of that is what's fueling now our love for one another. Um, and so, so we believe that um, doctrine is, is, is something extremely unifying for us because doctrine is what comes out of, has come out of God's word uh, for us. And, and it's not just something to bring about some kind of intellectual assent Right? It's not something just to make us smarter, but, but, but our doctrine also informs how we love God. And, and it also informs even uh, um, uh, uh, not only the way that we love each other, but how we love, how we love the Lord and how we worship the Lord and how we do church and how we do missions and how we do evangelism, how we do uh, everything. So so long way around to say the importance of the statement of the faith. <laughs> again, just a, again, just a tidbit. And I don't know that this is necessary, but um, a good resource would be um, purchase you a, a, a systematic theology, maybe Gruden or uh, yeah, and it really goes through these things in depth. Yeah, and, and if you forget some of these terms, or if you didn't have them written down, if you don't, it does a good job of going through all this stuff. Yeah. If, if you have a copy of the ESV Study Bible, it actually has a very good section in the back of of that systematic theology. It goes through, does a really good job. It's a whole lot shorter than Grudem's, <laughs> but it's but it is very good. It's very good, and very helpful. So we're at point eight. We're at point eight tonight of repentance and faith. So last last week when we covered um, of uh, point six. And we covered point seven, the freeness of salvation. We did talk about the response, right? That there is a right response to, to, to the gospel, to the gospel message. Um, and then in our, the grace of regeneration, what regeneration does, the, uh, the bringing of new life, being born again, given to us the Holy Spirit, right? And brings about sanctification, which is going to be point ten, we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, as well as the, the fruits of the gospel. So, Regeneration has, has fruit, right? We, we, we know that. Regeneration has fruit. Transformation has a, has a result, right? We, we talked about the, the fruit trees, right? A, a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And, and, and that's the same thing for us. Is in, in the transformation and regeneration, there's gospel fruit. And so that's how we kind of gauge one another's lives, and, and, and when we come in covenant, that's part of what that means, right? We're engaging one another's lives and, and seeing that fruit always in, in one another so that we're continually able to affirm that, uh, that right standing, that, uh, uh, that membership upon, upon that person. But into the gospel message, there is a right way in which we have been called, according to Scripture, to respond to the gospel. And that's point eight, uh, with repentance and with faith. So a right response of the gospel is repentance and, and faith. Carson, would you read really loud the whole entire point, point eight? We believe that repentance and faith are sacred duties and also inseparable graces wrought in our souls by the regenerating spirit of God, 
whereby being deeply convinced of our guilt, danger, and helplessness, and of the way of salvation by Christ, we turn to God with unfeigned contrition, confession, and supplication for mercy, at the same time heartily receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king, and relying on him alone as the only and all-sufficient Savior. Very good. So our point, our first point, our first line, is that we believe that repentance and faith are sacred duties. Are sacred uh, duties. Would you look up Mark chapter 1? What does repentance, what does repentance mean? The turn away, right? So there's, a, there's, an, there's an active uh, work of obedience, and repentance means that you're looking towards something, and then you turn around and you go into the other direction. All right, that's what repentance means. It means a U-turn. And so the right response in the gospel, number one, is repentance, and then there's faith. And what is faith? What is faith? Belief. belief. Very good. That's right. It's it's a it's a, a right belief in in something other than yourself. Right. There's an in a hope, maybe a hope that's unseen. Uh, probably this is quoting from that's Hebrews eleven, right? Right. Faith is the is, is the hope in the existence of things that are unseen. Right. So so this is a, this is the right response, and they are. Sacred duties. That's an interesting little phrase. What does that mean? Sacred duties. What does sacred mean? Holy. Right? Holy. Righteous. Separate. Right? And so there's, there's, there's no other way. So sacred. Completely separate. Meaning there's no other right response to the gospel than repentance and faith. Nothing. No, no works, no baptism, no acts of penance, but repentance and faith. And, and they're, they're, they're sacred, they're, they're sacred duties, and they are also inseparable Graces. Inseparable means you can't take them apart. They're always together. The right response is always repentance and faith. So read, read the Mark chapter 1 passes. Here's Jesus. What does he say in Mark chapter 1 verse 15? He's saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There it is. <laughs> Repent and believe. Right? Repent and have faith. Repent and believe in, in the gospel. And they are inseparable. They're inseparable graces. So look up Ephesians 2. Actually, I'm already there, so I'll just read it. Ephesians 2, 8. We know this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so what we are saying here, what is being seen here, and what we're going to see in just a second as this as phrase continues, wrought in our souls by the regenerating of the Spirit of, of God, is that these inseparable graces are a work of regeneration. It's very important we get this. Regeneration always precedes repentance and faith. We are regenerated. We have faith. 
They're inseparable graces. Grace given by God. We see here in Ephesians 2, verse 8, rot in our souls. What does rot mean? Not rotten, but rot. W-R-O-U-G-H-T. Rot. Brought about. Created. Fashioned. Worked. Bestowed. Given. Right? They're wrought out in our souls by the regeneration of the Spirit of God. Going back to point seven of the works of regeneration. Regeneration is done by the Lord. It's done by the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in a, in a, in a person's life. Let's go to um, uh, 1 John chapter 5. Everybody there? Go ahead and read it. Whoever's there first. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Amen. So here it is, right? So everyone who believes, who has faith, believes that in, that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God, right? Here's that new life, right? Coming out of John chapter 3. And everyone who loves the Father loves, the, uh, loves whoever has been born of Him. So our first point, I know I should have gave you the, the word first, but, um, wow, I got a lot of writing here. Where, which word is that here? I think I just put grace. Yeah, respond by grace. There it is. Now I know what that word is. Respond by grace. Respond by grace. So, so here it is. So our, our repentance and faith is a, is a work of grace, is the work of the grace of God. All right? Because remember where the fallenness of man was. Remember our inability, that, that, uh, uh, that, that depravity, remember that? And, and yet there's still yet the, the, the freeness of salvation, but yet in that depravity, we're not really free to respond because of where we're choosing voluntarily what we want, and that is sin, right? And then the Lord brings about regeneration and new life, and instantly the response of the person is repentance and faith. When encountered with with the gospel and the Holy Spirit brings about new life, this new birth. It's almost like when um, uh, this is this isn't the experience for everybody, but when you're, you're there and you're able to see the birth of a baby, or maybe you're birthing the baby, or two at one time, Miss Mary. I mean, you know, listen, they're they're what happens, right? What's the first thing you hear? You hear the baby cry, right? And so the the the, the cry of the new birth, the new the newborn, is repentance and faith. Right? I, I remember when um, when Lottie was born, and 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 she was the only C-section of the of the crew, and and I remember I was sitting there with Christina, and that's all I got is just her head, and we're just I don't know if we were talking or what. It was really late in the night, and she wasn't was up for talking anyways. But um, and I, and I just remember just sitting there, we're t- you know, we're just kind of going through and telling her you're doing great and all this stuff, and and um, and then instantly I just started hearing a baby cry, and I'm like. Someone having a baby behind us, and and basically they 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 yanked her out or whatever they did, and they took her over there, and they you know they got her got her going, and and that's the that's the cry of the new Christian, the new Christian in the new birth is their their first cry is repentance and faith, right? The life comes first, and then comes the the cry of repentance and faith. So understand the process, right? The the steps. So we got that. Let's go to point uh, two, the second, our 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 second point. Um, Carson, look up John 16. Ben, go to Acts 2. 
And uh, Miss Susan, go to Acts 16. So here's the second point. Whereby, whereby being deeply convinced of our guilt, right? This is the cry of that the new of in the new birth, right? Of 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 repentance and faith, whereby we're being deeply convinced of our of our guilt and our danger and our helplessness and of the way of salvation of Christ. So the gospel message in its call to repentance and faith always brings about a convincing of their guilt. Like where the believer is shown or the, or the person is shown that they are that they are they are guilty before God of violating his holiness. We are in danger of his wrath being poured upon us because we are absolutely guilty and we know in our inability we are helpless to save our ourselves but the gospel shows us the way of salvation right and that way of salvation is by Christ so John 16 and when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment who is he in that passage no. <laughs> Sorry. By the Holy Spirit. That's right. John 16 is talking about the whole, the role of the Holy Spirit. And he will come and do what again, Carson? He will come and convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Ah. He'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit does, does this work right there. Acts 16, verse 8. Acts 2. 37-38. Yes. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. So right here, right? So now when they heard this, right, they were cut to the heart. Gospel message cuts, cuts to the heart. And he asked, what do we do? Repent and be baptized. Repent and believe. Repent and be obedient. Every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? This is the um, this is Peter preaching, right? Right after right after Pentecost, right on the day of Pentecost. Alright, Acts 16. This is really important. This is the Philippian jailer. Listen to this. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. All right, so here it is, right? So here's the, the Philippian jailer, if you remember. The Philippian jailer was about to kill himself, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and Paul stops him. Paul decides to stop him, and, and, um, and, and they instantly they want to be saved, right? The work of the Lord. Here's the work of the Lord in the Philippian jailer's life. I mean, talk about providence, by the way, in this story, just incredible divine providence that even in Paul's, the injustice of Paul being thrown into prison, God was using that to bring about great salvation in that man's life and his family. I wonder if we can bear the fact of being thrown in prison unjustly for another person to be saved. Mm. It's amazing. Amen. Good providence in, in God. Uh, for that, what many would call injustice, 
the Philippian jailer, I would say, would be very thankful for that. But here's the response. Every single time is to, to repent and believe, right? Repent of your guilt, the danger you were once in, the helplessness that you were once in, and, and, and cling to the way of salvation, the promise that is found in Christ. And we talked about that point earlier of salvation. Questions on that? That's need and response, point two. Point three would be repentance, would be repentance. Point three would be repentance. It says, we turn to God with unfeigned contrition, confession, and supplication for mercy. Abby, go to Luke 18. Miss Diane, would you read Luke 15? And Miss Mary, would you do 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11? Okay. 10 and 11. All right, so, so it says we, we turn to God, right? So here's, our, here's the repentance, right? We, we turn, we're turning away from sin. We're, we're turning away from the, the, the path of destruction we once were in because of our, because of our sinfulness. And now we, we turn toward God with unfeigned. Anybody know what that word means? Use that word last week, maybe. Unfeigned, sincere, genuine, heartfelt. Any other good descriptors for that word? Sincere, heartfelt, genuine, right? Um, and and that's what repentance is. Repentance is is um, is this the sincere contri- contrition? What does that mean? What does contrition mean? Sorrowful, right? You're, you're sorrowful. You're 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 genuinely apologizing. I mean. Um, he, I, I'm trying to think of a good example. You wouldn't understand if I told you an example. Person, I did this, and I felt sorry. You wouldn't understand. But you understand those moments when you know you did something wrong, and even if it was completely unintentional, and, and you went and you, 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 you kind of fessed up, and, and you genuinely were trying to communicate, and, and really no words were kind of good enough to say how sorry you felt for, for breaking something or, or missing an appointment or forgetting about doing this when you said you would. Uh, whatever that may, whatever that may be, but it's got that that sincere sorrow and and confession is is more, which is the next one. Confession is more than just saying I confess that I did this wrong and I admit uh, that I did this wrong, but it's also the the agreeing. It's the agreement that I really hurt you. It's the agreeing with that person or with God that I was an offense before you. That what I did was evil before you, God. Right? That's what confession means. It's not just admitting it. There's lots of people who admit things when they get caught. But that doesn't mean that they're really confessing it or they're doing it with a contrite heart. They're doing it because they got, they got caught. And they, they calculate how to minimize the consequences if it's either continue with the lie or confess it. Good example. Psalm 51 is on the, on the list here. Uh, I thought you were going to say one of the politicians um, could have used it, but we're not going there. Let's not go there. Um, but, but there it is, right? Right. The confession, what right confession, contrition, and, and supplication for mercy. What does supplication for mercy mean? Uh, you're, you're, you're praying, you're pleading for, for, for mercy. 
for for forgiveness for for grace. So let's look at our let's look at our passages. Look at eight Luke uh, Luke eighteen. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, "God be merciful to me, a sinner." So here's Luke chapter eighteen verse. 13 we see this this is the uh, the parable of of the two men that one is the uh, the, the lawgiver the Pharisee and then there's the tax collector and the tax collector is praying his great prayers God I'm I'm this I'm that I'm glad I'm not like that guy and that guy's just begging for mercy that is how we come before the Lord man we don't we don't come as I, I just need forgiveness for this or that I need I need forgiveness for everything I need forgiveness for for my very nature my 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 very my very birth has been an, almost an offense to you, O oh God. Man, that's that's the nature of our of our own of our own depravity. And this this man, this example we see here in the in the tax collector, and I think Jesus was making a, a greater point there to the Pharisees and pointing out their their hypocrisy and their sinfulness. Uh, uh, but yet we see the example of what repentance looks like with that, that <coughs> contrite heart, that, that confession, that supplication of mercy. Have mercy on me, O oh God, a sinner. Luke 15. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is the parable of the prodigal son, right? And you see here what repentance looks like again. I'm unworthy. Right, they understood the, the the guilt, the shame, the danger, the helplessness. He understood that, and yet he ran. That's one thing repentance does, right? Repentance, repentance, and and faith has us turned to to a loving father, to 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 our to our loving father, um, who doesn't who doesn't just kick you out, but accepts accepts you, based based upon the merit and work of Christ. So there's there's two great examples right there from the Gospel of Luke, Second Corinthians chapter seven, uh, ten and eleven, please. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. Go ahead, I'm sorry. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. Repentance and godly grief. You know, one thing I think that we've we've lost in, in so many ways and is is that that idea of repentance and how to how to repent um, and, and understanding what godly grief is. And and then I'll, and and just a just a question you don't have to answer, but to under have you ever felt godly grief, godly grief over over your sin that 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 guilt over your sin sin that, uh, but yet then that led to to repentance, right? Where it says your godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. 
whereas worldly grief produces produces uh, uh, death. And and this is what the the work of the the gospel does. This is what repentance, right, true repentance, does. It produces uh, uh, salvation and and without without regret. Any questions on on that point? Psalm fifty one is on there as well. That's uh, uh, what what uh, Kenny was speaking about with 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 David and his repentance. Um, let's look at the the last point. Point four. At the same time, heartily receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king, and rely on Him alone as the only an all-sufficient Savior. And I put on here, point four would be faith. Right? Faith. This is what, this is what right faith produces. This is what right faith believes in. This is what right faith uh, uh, believes in. It believes uh, in, in Jesus Christ. It's placed in Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. So when we say Prophet, priest, and king. What are we saying that who that's who Jesus is, right? What are we saying in those areas? What do you think we're saying? Everything. Well, that just puts everything makes sense. That <laughs> <laughs> just. <laughs> Prophet, priest, and king. What's a prophet? Okay. All right. Foretells and proclaims. And what do they proclaim? The word of God. The word of God. Okay. Priest. What's a priest? They're a mediator. That's right. Mediator between God and man. And what is king? What were you... I mean, that would be Holy Spirit, possibly. Okay, yeah. The mediator. That's right, yes. King? Uh, the ruler. Huh? The ruler. He's a ruler, but what if, when we say he's our king, what are we speaking toward? His kingdom. His kingdom, right, definitely that. His rule, his authority. Very good. So when we're saying that this, these are the offices of Jesus, right? And he's our, he's our prophet because he is he is the word of God. He is the Word of God, and what He has spoken is God's, God's Word to us, right? He is our, He is that, right? He's our prophet, uh, He is our, He's our priest, He's our, He's been our mediator between God and, and, and man, right? He is the one who, who is set forth as the atoning uh, sacrifice for us, and yet He is also still King, right? He is, has all authority, right? Matthew 28, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus, he is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And I think also putting those prophet, priest, and king also shows the, the fulfillment, the fulfillment that Jesus Christ is of the Old Testament. Yeah, that's what that I was all, mentioned earlier is one, one way you can detect heresy or people that just, you know, they, they, they don't believe in Jesus Christ is, you know, people that claim to be present-day prophets in the sense of, of what a prophet did in the day, hmm. um, that we no longer have to go to the high priest as Catholics believe, hmm. 
um, and that you know Jesus remember the veil was torn we go directly through him to God he is he is king and as a matter of fact yeah when the when the commencement or when the uh, fulfillment of, of his kingdom is, is done yeah well, that's what we're looking for but in essence too his, his kingdom he's reigning now he's at his father right inside and he's ruling he's reigning now that's right and with all this turmoil and things going on that's how we you know we're, we're, we're subtle we're at peace that gives sovereign us peace. yep very good that's right that's right so being our uh and this is where right, we receive lord jesus christ we believe we have faith in him and we're believing in who he is and what he has did he is He's been that perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and that perfect king, right? So if we could just kind of look back a little bit. David was a great king. But David's ruling, rulingship as a king was still flawed. But his kingdom pointed toward the real king, right? That's why we say well, that guy was, that. what was it, the blind guy going down the street sees Jesus, or the crippled man, and guy, Jesus is walking by, and he's just hollering out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Right, proclaims the Son of David because he is. He's, he's pointing to that, to that who who uh, who Jesus is as as King, the uh, the real King. Um, so as our prophet, priest, and king, we're believing in what he has done, and and bringing us and giving us an atonement, and we rely on him alone. We rely on him alone in Christ alone. Solas Christos, right? He's another one of our solas. We believe in Christ in Him alone as our only. An all-sufficient Savior. That there's there's no other that we turn to for for salvation. Not in ourselves, not in the church, but as in only Christ. In Christ alone. And you go back to point four, and you can look at the way of salvation that that Jesus, uh, his his person and his work is what has accomplished uh, salvation. So let's go to Romans ten. Go to Romans ten. We have time to kind of dig through these together. So let's go to Romans ten. You got it? 9 through 11, right? Um, yeah, but I want you to read 12 and 13, too. Uh, I got that, too. It's right there. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I'm glad your Bible's not mixed up. Messy. That was great. Read it, Benny Mino. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call, call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. There it is. We, we confess who Christ is. We believe in our heart. Right, the gospel that he has been raised from the dead. Right, then in the in the resurrection. Right, because that's the that's the seal. We the seal of the approval of his death was accepted by by God, and and that is how we will we will be saved. The receiving of the the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to Acts three. Acts chapter three. Look at verse twenty two and twenty three. Sure, 22 and 23. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Mm-hmm. 
and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. All right, so Peter is actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 18, where as, as uh, Moses's uh, uh, ministry, in a sense, is come, kind of coming to an end, he, he points the people, the nation, to, to a greater prophet to come. And, and that greater prophet, because that's even better than him, is Jesus, right? And so all the prophets in succession, even after, uh, uh, even after Moses, were all foreshadows of Christ as our prophet. So right now we're kind of looking at our prophet, priest, and king, the different offices. So here's what here's what is uh, uh, Peter is saying. Uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter eighteen. Look at Hebrews four. So I want to read verses 14 and 15. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. All right, so here's Jesus as our, our, our great high priest who, who passed through the heavens, right? Meaning he was, he was ascended and he was placed at the right hand of the Father, right? And he is ruling as the Son of God. And so what, it, I love the encouragement, so let us hold fast to our confession. I love that. I love the implication there, the, the application of, of Jesus as our great high priest for believe it, we hold fast to our confession of what we believe in who Jesus Christ is as our, as our great high priest. Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but what does it say? But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Now, now we want to believe that because Jesus, even though he was tempted and he was not without sin, that maybe it was a less of a temptation maybe a less levels of temptation than we ever, because he never gave in to sin. And what I want to tell you is, since he never even gave in to sin, but yet he was still tempted, I think he's been tempted, to, he was tempted a whole lot greater than we ever were, and never gave in. Because he had, the devil had to keep adding. Yeah, keep absolutely, nonstop. Nonstop. Right, so so here we have a, a great high priest, that great mediator who stands before before God. It's almost like having the the, um, the 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 lawyer who can sympathize at the position that you're in. He understands our he understands our weakness. He understands what it means to be human. And he's the lawyer and judge in the same. That's right. Time. That's right. They understand that. I mean, under, he understands what it meant I mean, it means to walk in the frailty of the flesh. What it means to stand up after leaning over, working on a bench, and having his back hurt. That's amazing. Right? That's amazing to think about. So prophet, priest. Let's look at, uh, uh, well, we don't have to, but Psalm 2.6 talks about his king. We need to roll on. But let's look at this. The authority, Hebrews 1, since we're already there. Let's go, let's go back down to Hebrews 1, verse 8. Hebrews 1, verse 8, says, But of the Son, he says, I love this because he's kind of comparing Jesus and the angels, right? And he's basically saying the angels are they're great, but Jesus is a whole lot better. And he says, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever, 
And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Um, I'm trying to find that passage that he uh, says. Or as he says this, he says, oh, and at verse 13, if you just look down at verse 13, he says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet? And he's quoted from Psalms there. None. Right? He's never said that to any of the angels, but he said that to his son. Right? So here's the this, this son on his, on his throne, as we already said, sitting at the right hand of the father uh, in, in, his, in his authority as, as, as king. Go to uh, Hebrews 8. It's not supposed. That's not twenty-five. It's actually supposed to be verse six. It's a few mistakes. Well, actually, we'll be correcting in a couple weeks, uh, next week too. But verse eight, our chapter eight, verse six in Hebrews. Yeah, eighty-two. Hey, deal with it. It's not like six and seven or twenty-five. It's six and twenty-five. Yeah. <laughs> Those numbers aren't even really close well, to the keyboard. We make okay. a mistake, doggone it, we want to make it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, they really don't make it. All right, verse six. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on a better promise. I love that. I love what it's saying there, but look where it says Christ's ministry, his work, his authority as prophet, priest, and king is to mediate this new covenant, which is greater than the old. Which is better than the old. When we first started reading the scriptures on this particular point, repentance and faith, I thought of... uh, added to my list there, John 14, 1 through 6, where it says, culminates in 6, there I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's right. Even above that, where he talks about, you know, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. And he goes on talking about the rooms prepared for you. Our our lists here for each of these points are certainly not exhaustive, and that's a good one there. Right, the right confession on, on who of of who Christ is according to the scripture. Let's look one more verse and we'll be done. Second Timothy chapter one, and it is right, verse twelve. Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is the Apostle Paul speaking according to the end of his life, right? This is the last letter that he wrote. Um, and and look what he's saying. He says, of course, which is why I suffer. But And, and this is what he's saying by the sufficiency of the Savior, Right? That Christ is sufficient and the salvation that is given through Christ is sufficient. Because what does it say? For I'm, I'm not ashamed because I know what I believe. And I'm convinced. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day. And day is capitalized. And what's that mean? Day. Capitalized day. What does it mean? The day of the Lord. Right? The consummation of all things when Christ returns. Right? Until that day. What has been entrusted to me? What has been entrusted to him? The gospel. That's right. Right. So he's convinced, and that's what salvation does. Right. Salvation gives us a a a, a lasting future hope, 
a living hope, not a hope that says like I'm hoping right now that dinner's right made when I get home because I'm really hungry, but a a, a living hope, a, a hope that we know is true. A hope that we we know is true because we have been we have been convinced we have been shown through the word of God, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right in Corinthians, it says that, um, that it is the um, gosh darn the sal- that the salvation to those who are being to being saved it is uh, it is the wisdom of God, but to those who are perishing, it's folly, it's foolishness. Right, that's why the the world looks at what we believe. People will look at what we believe and just kind of ridicule it as as mysticism, as old, as antiquated, as whatever it is. But the Bible already tells, like, that's nothing new, right? We're not in some kind of new form of suffering or persecution. That's old. To those who are lost, to those who are perishing, they consider it to be foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom and power of God. To those who are being saved. And that's us. To those who are being sanctified. Those who are being renewed in this, in this living hope of who Jesus Christ is as our all-sufficient Savior. Questions, comments, concerns?